According to a report published by Special Olympics, only 44% of adults with intellectual disabilities between the ages of 21 and 64 are in the labor force. This is compared to 83% of working age adults without disabilities. Furthermore, only 34% of adults with intellectual disabilities in that same age range are employed and in an equal number work only in a sheltered setting. Those are the statistics for the United States anyway. Japanese companies are required by law to hire people with disabilities. Fines are imposed if companies fail to achieve a proportion of such workers and subsidies are paid to those that satisfy the requirement. The latest numbers show that more than 500,000 people with disabilities are employed in Japan. For this reason, special education teacher Joey Kumigan set his sights on Japan when he designed a 2020 Fund for Teachers Fellowship. He wanted to observe best practices in the workplace to design a simulated classroom environment that is both conducive and motivating for students with disabilities. Then the pandemic happened, and that was just the beginning of the ordeal resulting in his distinction as our final 2022 Fund for Teachers Fellow who completed their fellowship just two months ago in April. But his journey was worth the wait. Welcome to Fund for Teachers, the podcast. I'm Carrie Caton, and the goal of each episode is to elevate teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. Joey Kumigan is a 34-year veteran teacher who began his career in the Philippines and now works with a special day class of students ranging in age from 18 to 22 who have moderate to severe special needs. His community-based instruction program at Deer Valley High School in Antioch, California is designed to help students achieve post-high school outcomes in the areas of education, independent living, and employment. However, he saw very limited placement of his students in jobs beyond a sheltered environment, and he wanted to change that. Through a set of unfortunate circumstances, Joey's 2020 fellowship was delayed, but in the interim, he completed two Innovation Circle grants available to teachers already awarded a Fund for Teachers Fellowship. And finally, two months ago, he toured four companies in Japan modeling successful employment programs for adults with disabilities. With new insights and experiences fresh on his mind from his recent return, we caught up with Joey to track his FFT trajectory. And when you hear his story and the way in which he shares it, you'll want Joey as your teacher as well. I want to start our conversation the way that I start every conversation with our Fun for Teachers fellows who were gracious enough to come on this podcast. And that is, why, Joey, did you become a teacher? So back when I was in college, I wasn't really supposed to be a teacher. I was an engineering student. So really far from uh, becoming a teacher, but I had a career-changing experience. And uh, so I grew up in the Philippines, and at that time, the country was undergoing a political upheaval. The country just deposed a dictatorship form of government. However, uh, there were still a lot of social inequities all around. And one of the sectors in society that was deeply marginalized were children living in the streets. So back in school, there was an invitation for volunteer camp counselors for a camp for street children. And I guess me being socially aware person that I was, am, I volunteered. And in that camp, I never felt so much joy and life compared to what I was doing in the lab, the lab, or in front of a computer. And at that moment, it was uh, it was just a decisive moment for me. I said, I okay, I want to switch from engineering to education. 
And so I just started taking up courses in education and I finished with a, with a liberal studies degree, but focusing on, on teaching. Yeah. I finished my degree really early, like at age 20. So I had my first classroom at uh, age 20. And yeah. then as I understand it, just from looking over your paperwork, then you taught in, in the Philippines for 10 years. I did. Yes. Yeah. And then until I moved to the States and that was when I switched to special education. Well, that time pretty much really was to follow my late wife. She was a special education teacher. And I said, okay, maybe I'm going to go try special education. Wow. Uh, so when I moved to the States, I started taking up uh, credential uh, courses in special education. And I love it. So I've been a special education teacher since. And Joey, is it 34 years that you've been in the classroom? 34 years in the classroom. I mean, in the South, we say, bless your heart. And that can mean a lot of different things. But in Uh this uh instance, it means sincerely bless your heart. What a special career you've had because your student population is not the typical student population. Can you describe your students? Yes. Uh, So currently I am teaching a transition program. These are students 18 to 22-year-olds. They are concurrent high school students. So I I teach in a comprehensive high school. So their abilities or disabilities, abilities, yes, yeah, range from moderate to severe. Um, We have uh, people with Down syndrome, autism, uh, cerebral palsy, speech language impairment. So I've seen a lot of different disabilities in my classroom right now. So our focus mainly is looking at post high school outcomes uh, on three areas. Primarily, first is on functional academics. So pretty much, uh, how would you apply your reading and math in the real life? For example, reading a bus schedule. And secondly, we focus on life skills, such as budgeting, travel training, uh, stranger protocol, communication. And thirdly, employment skills. And that became the focus of my fellowship. The main thing that we do in here is to give students an opportunity to experience a job. So we have two ways of doing it. One is just in the classroom, volunteer work, and then we also have some on-campus jobs too. And then the second thing what we do for them is actually give them opportunities outside of the campus. So, And some of them are volunteer work too. But we also have some paid work experience for this for the students. So when I was reading in your proposal, I think I, I understood that you said the goal is for students to be employed and to have jobs, but that that really rarely happens, that they end up being in more of a sheltered environment. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So and, and that became my problem of practice. So how could I prepare my students for the world of work? And then uh, secondly is what environmental changes can I do in the classroom? So anything adjustment that I can uh, do for the students that can make working and learning to work easier for them or manageable for them. And the third question that I asked was that, what are the companies, which were these companies that would hire students or workers with disabilities? I want to talk about that. But before we get to that point, that was in 2020. Yes. Yeah. So you had put together this wonderful proposal. It was awarded and then the pandemic hit and your fund for teachers path is so circuitous. You didn't get to go on your fellowship, but you did do two different innovation circle grants in the, in the interim 
which mm-hmm. also were fascinating. One, you went to Mexico and embedded yourself there and learned some language skills there. So you could mm-hmm. facilitate that. I think you said a third of your students are ESL. Mm-hmm. And then you also did a kind of a self-study and mm-hmm. learned some speaking skills and TED Talk type conferences uh, one summer and created the most beautiful website for your students and uh, humans of community behavioral instruction. Yes. Yeah. Humans of CBI. Yeah. Community-based instruction. So I, I could talk about both of those also, but but I'm going to skip forward, which is doing those a disservice, but there's too much to talk about. So then last summer, after waiting two plus years to go to Japan, you go to the airport and what happens, Joey? <laughs> oh, yeah. So uh, the pandemic was waning down already. And however, Japan was one of the, I guess, the last countries to <laughs> to lessen their, secu- their restriction on, on, on COVID. So I was all set up to go to Japan. All my appointments were set. And I went ahead and completed all the requirements. And at that time, Japan required the visa, even for uh, U.S. citizens. So I went and got, got all those. So I was ready to fly. And uh, right at the airport on my the second leg of the flight, I was barred from boarding. They said, I said, why? I said, they don't have the complete requirements. And what is that? So they were looking for four things in the document. And for some reason, the document I have was missing one thing. They didn't let me fly. So I was, I was I was in the office when you called from the airport. I was and you're you're a fan favorite of all of us at the staff just because you're so joyful and ebullient and kind and everything. And we were all gathered around Stephanie Ashwell's desk saying, wait, wait, no, what can we do? And so you turned around and went back home mm-hmm. and became our Final 2022 fellow because you just returned. Uh huh. Uh-huh. You went in April. I did. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So I was the last one. <laughs> oh, yeah. You're the okay. last one. Yeah. So you go to Japan. How, how did you find out that Japan had these companies that employed the majority of their employees have disabilities? So we actually ended up visiting like four. Um, uh, companies which were employing people with disabilities. And when uh, you say employing people with disabilities, you're not talking about token employees. Like one company was like 80% or something? Correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah. So 80%. So we had this, we, they have the founding company. The In English, it's the Japan Sun Industries or the Teyo no Ie. And, and then they partnered with other bigger name companies like Fujitsu, and Mitsubishi, and then in another location, which is close by, Honda and Sony. And they all had this common bond, which is no, no charity, but a chance. And the other thing that binded them is, was Dr. Nakamura. So uh, Dr. Nakamura, maybe just to relate it to uh, the companies, he is known to be the founder of Paralympics in Japan and back in the 60s. And when he compared the international athletes to the Japanese athletes, one of the big difference that he found was that the international athletes were happy. And so he, what he found out was that the, the international athletes had jobs. Meantime, the Japanese athletes were at home. 
pretty much just staying at home. And so when he came back, he said, no, uh, I need to push for what would make the Japanese athletes happy. And and then and, and so he started uh, giving them jobs. He started looking for other companies that would partner uh, with him to give them jobs. And one thing that really went well to for the Japanese uh, as a culture is that they're, they have really a strong work ethic and they have that uh, strong sense of giving back to society. So back then, and maybe even now, people with disabilities had that stigma. And so if you had the disability and then you cannot work and you cannot give back to this, and they, they were, their positive self-image really went down. And so Dr. Nakamura, able to give them a chance to work, really increased their, their self-confidence. And what was really interesting was that people with disabilities, even, I guess, Japanese people as a culture, they don't want to be just tax consumers. By the way, they were given, they were, the people with disabilities were, were given uh, welfare services, but they didn't want that. They didn't want to depend on the welfare. They want, they didn't want to be tax consumers. They wanted to be taxpayers. So they really had pride when they started uh, working. And that was uh, the amazing thing that I actually found out. It's still giving me goosebumps every time I think about this. Yeah, because they really had, they really wanted to contribute to society. And you were implicit about the fact that these companies, there was a rating like an IS 9000 right. or something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So in other words, they're very competitive. So they had to be profitable as well, too. So they had what they call, I, I would, I guess I would term it uh, a strengths-based approach versus a deficit-based approach. So I guess I'm referring it to because as, an, as a special education teacher, we have IEPs. And normally in our IEPs, we look for what is the student lacking on? You know, what does students still need to work mm-hmm. on? Well, meantime, I guess, I guess, uh, for these companies, how they look at it is that, uh, okay, you have a disability and we will not look at your disability, but we will look at what you can do. They give these people a chance to communicate to them what do you need? How can we help you fulfill the job? Yeah. And speaking of work ethic, they also had this, I guess, a manufacturing uh, culture called Kaizen which means continuous improvement. So if a certain part in the job, it can be done in eight seconds, what else can we do so we can make it to 7.5 seconds? And so they listen to their, they listen to everyone. And and then I guess also that's one thing that they also cultivate as a, as a, as a company is the communication amongst them. Um, One of the things that I observe when I was when I was over at diff, different companies, they were also very happy workers. That was uh, my next question because yeah. I think I'm I'm hearing that they're you're able to do all of this work, but then is it like like they they are happy doing it? They were really happy doing it. Yeah, um, I sat with like two presidents of companies in there, and in the beginning, so we had our formal introductions. I was actually quite nervous because I had the president of. Honda, and then the other one, the president of uh, Tayone, they're very formal. So after the after the introductions and a little bit of uh, discussion, uh, also, also that broke the ice too. And they were all very appreciative of what I was doing. But later on, I saw them on the floor. They were like uh, kidding around with the other workers. Really? 
running back and forth, like saying hi to everyone. And he was the president of that company. Yeah. I, I have to add too that one thing common with all these companies was that they promote health. So your physical health. And, and then they're aware that a lot of, of course, we know that majority of them have disabilities. So they make sure they're healthy, uh, physically healthy. But they also focus on also on their uh, social emotional health. So they have an area you know, in, in, on the floor in the manufacturing area where if someone is too overwhelmed, not feeling well for whatever reasons, there's that room where you can go to uh, decompress. If you need to talk to a counselor, there is someone that you can talk to. And then sports is also, I want to include the sports is also one of the things that they promote among the workers in there. So not everyone is into sports, but there's always there for them. And then other than sports, some of some of the other things that they offer, knowing that not people are into sports, are music. So they have a band. Unfortunately, I didn't get to see the, the band, but overall, they make sure that the uh, promote the overall well-being of the worker. Yeah, you can really tell. It's just kind of a, it's a, a well-rounded community with people with purpose and who can contribute. Yeah, so and that reminds me too of universal design for learning. As an educator, you 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 want to identify every person's uh, strengths and needs in every learner's uh, learning styles. How do you foresee this changing the environment for your students? For now, let's just like looking at my classroom right here next to me is that uh, I still have the traditional rows and columns of desks. So I think that's one thing I have to think outside of the box such that people it will be accommodating. It will be conducive for students to, number one, to learn. And then second is when I introduce some, say, a work skill or, or, or a work task, how can I design it such that everyone will be able to participate. One thing, though, at least as a mindset that I thought about, is that uh, to create a culture of a strong work ethic in my classroom. And I think what I've seen in Japanese culture, especially, I guess, in, the com- I guess in Japanese companies, at least with these companies I've seen, is that they have a mission statement. And it trickles down from top to bottom. Everyone knows what the mission statement is. It's easy for them to follow. And every time I spoke with the president, I spoke with the, some of the line managers uh, through the help of my friend who's interpreting. They know what they're there for. So their their purpose of being. It, uh, even if they were working on a socket, they they're working on just one part of the whole assembly uh, uh, process. They knew their purpose, why they're there. And it wasn't the profit. It was really because, you know, number one is because uh, we're contributing to society. And, and, and then uh, this is my chance. This is my chance really to show that uh, I, I can do this work. It's so uh, empowering. I think that uh, when you said not charity, but a chance. Right. And, and I think hearing you say that again, this is your chance. I mean, it's just, it's so much about, an opportunity to be useful and to and to contribute and to be seen in a humane way. And your career has played that out. So this is just one, a, a new innovative way to, of doing that. But how did you find out about Fun for Teachers? How did you know to turn to Fun for Teachers for this? As a teacher, I love to think of 
projects for the students. For example, I want to start a garden project. I want to start a filming project. And I want to do a, um, an art exhibit project for the students. And the next problem is that, okay, you know, the district will not pay for, will not give me money outside of the curriculum. Yeah. So I have to look for funds. So I just started learning how to write grant proposals. And then I thought, okay, so I've done, uh, you know, quite a number of projects for my students, for the classroom. There's got to be something for the teacher. <laughs> and it so happened too that I was part of the social media group where we, we were all in the same mindset, you know, uh, what's out there for the teacher. And, and that's where I came to learn about Fun for Teachers. And as soon as I read the website, oh my goodness, you know, where have you been all this time? <laughs> like, you know, because <laughs> it was exactly what I was, at least, uh, at least I was thinking of, you know, like along the lines of I was thinking for my class, for my students, that, it, uh, that there's got to be something for the teacher too. So I always just keep attending uh, summer workshops and professional development trainings. But I love the idea that Fund for Teachers invested in in self-determined professional development. It was an out, another out-of-the-box thinking So for me. So I said, okay, you know, I said, okay, I know I have some things that I want for my class, and this is something that will benefit not just my class, but also me. And I applied. What would you tell a teacher who, was, who might happen upon our website, just like you did, and is considering applying? Just talking about chances and opportunity, I think that teacher really needs to take a chance, really needs to take this opportunity. I think we're all in the same mindset. I would like to think that teachers, we have this special opportunity to be with our students. I don't think there's any job that comes close where we can make an impact on the students. Uh, they will definitely forget about what the teacher thought in the classroom or the lessons. But the students will remember how the teacher cared for them, how the teacher valued them, how the teacher gave them chances, how the teacher uh, helped them get back up. And, uh, and, and this are, it's a special chance for us as teachers to be able to make that impact on, on our kids. And I think for me, just to tie it up with Fun for Teachers, to me, this is an, unforget an unforgettable experience as a teacher to actually go to Japan and, and learn hands-on about something that I need for my class. And it's something I can pass on the same way to my students too, is that experience as well. So I would say to the teacher is that to take this chance, to take this opportunity. All teachers mean well for their students. And if there's an opportunity such as what Fun for Teachers provide to teachers, I'd go and Take the chance and go and apply and come up with your your self-determined teacher-led uh, professional development training. I think about you helping at a community center, the street children. And now, Joey, you have learned in Japan, you have learned in Mexico, and you are giving your students absolutely love, but dignity and purpose and I, I just would love to tell that that teenager, you're going to change lives and you're going to change them around the world and you're going to go around the world to learn how to do it. What a calling. Uh-huh. Yeah, thank you. Exactly. I think that's how I see myself in this profession. 
it, it is a calling. It is a calling for me. And uh, I value each, each of my students' story. And I'd love to share their stories. And, and there's no other job that you can I can find that comes close. Thank you to Fun for Teachers fellow Joey Coomigan for joining us today. Please do yourself a favor and visit his class website where you can enjoy his heartwarming interviews with students we referenced earlier on the Humans of Community-Based Instruction page. And you can find that on the landing page for this episode. We look forward to using this podcast to elevate more teachers as the inspiring architects of their careers, classrooms, and school communities. But you can learn from more than 9,200 Fund for Teachers fellows now by visiting fundforteachers.org slash blog. Or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Our first 2023 grant recipients are departing on their fellowships now, and we fill our social media sites with their updates throughout the summer. We invite you to learn vicariously along with those of us left behind, and consider using some time this summer to start your application for a Fund for Teachers grant. Our 2024 grant cycle opens on October the 1st at fft.fundforteachers.org. I'm Carrie Caton. Thank you for joining us today at Fun for Teachers, the podcast. Until next time, keep learning. Keep learning.